us to do. Yes, we're going to face limits, and it is true, we cannot do everything, but I'm here to tell you today, we can do everything that God has given us personally to do. Some of the most common limitations that we've dealt with in this study have dealt with those times in life where we just don't know what to do. It's not a lack of motivation, it's not a lack of desire, it's just we simply aren't sure what to do. And God has been <clears throat> so very gracious in those moments in life to build us and develop us. We spend some time considering what to do when those debilitating fears come. And we're living in a very fearful age, and there's always something in terms of fear that we think could serve as a limiter, and, and yet God tells us in what time we're afraid we can, we can certainly be trusting in Him. We talked recently about what to do when we seem to have more to do than time to do it. And I was glad to share with you from the Bible that if we have more to do than time to do it, we're revealing, we're testifying that we're trying to do more things in life than God has actually called us to do. Jesus was very clear on how much time we have in a day, and, and, uh, and so if we've got more going on than time to do it, God gives us permission to stop doing some of the unnecessary things that, that are cluttering our schedules. Last week, Jeremy did a fantastic job uh, bringing a Bible-based message on how to deal with those traumatic moments, those traumatic events in the course of our lives, and today we're going to be entering really into a new area, and it's one that I feel is very important. I feel that today uh, I'll be addressing what I think is an epidemic in our time, and uh, I'd like to talk today about how we handle those times in life when we feel as though we've just been dealt a bad hand. When it seems like the system is stacked against us, when the odds are certainly not in, in our favor. And, and uh, it, it is true that it seems there are those among us who've been born with a silver spoon in their mouth. You're all familiar with that expression. And sometimes we think of those who've been born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and we feel like maybe we've been born with a spork in our mouth from KFC, okay? That uh, the playing field is not fair. And the fact of the matter is, we don't all start from the same starting line in life. Some have been blessed with, with benefits of, of maybe a, a great uh, marriage that you can observe in your mom and dad, or maybe there were financial resources, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I certainly understand there are differences in, in the beginnings that we experience in the course of our life. But to give you some direction as to where we're going to head in our study today, I, I want to be very clear, crystal clear in fact, that I will not be dealing this morning with the injustices in our society. Do I believe injustices in our society exist? Yes, I do. Do I think the injustices in our society give any of us an excuse to not go forward in life? No, I don't believe that at all. Not for a moment. And so I'm not really dealing with it in, in, <coughs> excuse me, in that sense. I also want to be very clear. I'm not seeking to preach today, and you'll know why I'm saying this more when I get into the message. I'm not trying to preach today to our society. I'm trying to preach to you and to me from the Word of God. And so I'm not trying to address all of America today. I'm, I'm trying to address a group of people in this service that I care about with some great truths from the Word of God that can help you greatly. I want to affirm in your heart that we've got a great God who's got a great life that He's calling you to and that you can do all that He would have you to do. You can be all that God would have you to be. You can achieve your potential in Jesus Christ. Now the mindset that I'll be addressing today that I believe is so destructive is that mindset that kind of gets to thinking uh, everything is against me, some have more advantages, I just don't think it will ever be special in my life. And that mindset often leads us to sit on the sidelines of life 
And rather than going for it for the glory of God, we kind of lament the successes of others and and we kind of complain when someone else seems to get a break that maybe didn't come uh, our way. And uh, I thought very carefully about this next sentence that I wrote in my notes and I don't want to be overly aggressive, but I want all of us to really be shaken by the truth today. And I want to say that when that kind of a thought process comes into our lives, that it will lead us in life to walk with what I called here, and this is what I thought about before I'll say it. I thought before I wrote it. I'm thinking now as I'm saying it. It will lead us to walk through life with a loser's limp. A predetermination that, you know, I'm just never going to be or have or do or go. And, and we, can, we can take that, that mentality. And when that sets in, we stop dreaming, we stop doing, we stop believing. And, and friends, how many of you have noticed, like I have, that we live in a time where one side is pitted against another side, one people group against another people group, and you say, which one are you talking about? I'm talking about every one of the little groups in our, in our, in our day and age, and, and all of us have legitimate beefs, and, and all of us can try to blame others, but I'm saying that if you want to live the life God has for you, you're not going to make great progress by lamenting those, those uh, perceived injustices and, and complaining. Uh, some would say the odds are stacked against me today and, and that I have the short end of the stick. That's a dangerous mindset to take into life if you want to live the life God has for you. It brings dire consequences when we think that way. Consequences in a physical sense. And uh, a moment ago, I, I thanked again the veterans. And, you know, it's because of these veterans that... We honored today that we live in today the, the greatest nation in all of the world. I, I think it's good for us to be reminded at times we live in the land of opportunity. We are not a perfect nation, but I've had the privilege of traveling to a lot of nations around the world, and we are blessed today to live in the United States of America. But you know, there's not just the physical sense, there's a real spiritual side to the attitude that I'm talking about today. And I hope to show you today from the Bible that the odds are not stacked against you in life. In fact, the odds truly are in your favor. If you follow God's will for your life, you will see that God is for you. David is the man we'll be studying from Scripture today. And on one occasion in Psalm 65, he wrote this. He said, when I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. Listen to what he said. For God is for me. You know, I also recall in the Bible, we learn that if God's for us, who will be against us? There's no limit in this world that can prevent you from being who God has called you to be or from doing what God has given you to do. The occasion of this psalm, Psalm 41, that we'll be studying today was a time in the life of David when his son Absalom who was uh, an influencer. The Bible tells us he was a real handsome guy, a very winsome guy. David's son, Absalom, he, he had a coup to oust his father as the leader, as the king, and he wanted to assert himself as the king in the place of his father. Now, it's hurtful anytime somebody betrays you in that sense, but this was David's son. He loved him. This was a tough time, Psalm 41. In addition, David learns that there was a man that helped his son Absalom, a man by the name of Ahithophel, who was a friend of David's. As we'll see in this psalm, David said, man, we had meals together. I trusted this guy, and he betrayed me. So David writes this psalm during a time when, when his leadership is threatened. He's been ousted as the controlling influencer, as the king. His son is usurping him. One of his chief counselors and one of his dear friends, Ahithophel, was a part of this all. And, and, and David now is an older man, is 
is living much as he did as a younger man, he's running for his life. He's running for his life. With that in mind, I'd love for us to look to the Word of God together this morning. If you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read the Word. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. I'm glad to be teaching today. I was griping before the service. I said, Jeremy got to bring a real compassionate message last week, and this really is going to be a pretty aggressive type of a message. And uh, the person I was griping to said, well, pastor, we need those kind as well, you know. And uh, I'm not hoping to be needlessly aggressive today. I want it to be more of an inspiring kind of a thought. There's no limit that can prevent you from being who God called you to be or from doing what God has called you to do. Psalm 41. If you're looking there, say amen. amen. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him and time of trouble the lord will preserve him and keep him alive and he shall be blessed upon the earth and thou wilt not deliver him into uh, unto the will of his enemies the lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness i said lord be merciful unto me heal my soul for i have sinned against thee mine enemies speak evil of me when shall he die and his name perish And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity, his heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. Evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him, and now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. In other words, they said of David, he's down for the count now. He's never getting out of this mess. He's got a perpetual limit in his life. He'll never go beyond this point. Verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, and whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. This psalm was so good, David had to amen himself two times before he was done, all right? Amen and amen. I'd like for you to go back, if you would, to verse 12. And uh, just one statement I'd like for us to take a look at there, where the Bible says, Thou upholdest me. Thou upholdest me. Our Father, we're very grateful today that when we take these Bibles and open them, we're reading your word that you've inspired and preserved for us today. And then, Lord, we thank you in advance that God the Spirit can reveal your truth to our hearts. God, you can help us to understand. And I pray today that we would really be uh, emboldened in faith by the might of your power. Lord, there will be times in all of our lives when people will say of us, we're down and not getting up. But Lord, we're thankful today to know that what David said is true for us as well. Thou upholdest me. Help us in this study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It might be strange to allow the life of a rich, powerful, and historic king like David to serve as the backdrop for a life that lives against the odds and 
Yet, we know that David, although he went down in history as the great king of Israel, the one by which all the others are measured, he certainly was a man after God's own heart, it always wasn't easy for him. There were many times in his life where he could have said, this is not right, this is not fair, everybody's against me, and, and yet we know <coughs> excuse me, that God worked through his life. David came from really just a rather typical family of the day. He was raised in what we would call today a suburb. It was a very small town, not too far from Jerusalem. As a young man, he apparently didn't show any sign of greatness. Nobody would have looked at David as a young man and thought, uh, he's destined to do something special with his life. In fact, the Bible tells us there was a prophet in the land who was sent by God to the house of Jesse, David's father, and he was told to go there to anoint one of Jesse's sons as, as a king. And as Samuel's dealing with Jesse, Jesse brings in seven of his sons, and he never even bothers to bring in David. Samuel looks at all David's brothers that Jesse, the father, had brought in. He's like, yeah, this is not them. There's not a king in this group. And he said, are there any more sons? And, and David's own father said, well, yeah, I mean, there's David, but he's out in the field. And, you know, and the idea is this, surely it's not David. He wouldn't be the one. I mean, there's nothing special or significant about David. They totally overlooked him. David's life was filled with odds that seemed to be against him. We know that he rose to fame in the eyes of the people on that brilliant day when he stood on a battlefield before a giant by the name of Goliath. And, and yet, even when that fame came, that was not the end of the struggle in his life. We know that there were times when his own family, his king, his country, even his enemies whom he sought to befriend, they rejected him. For a time, even his closest friends turned from him. We know that he did ascend to the throne. But as this passage shares, even when you're the king and you're large and in charge, it doesn't mean the struggles are over. It doesn't mean that everything's going to appear to be easy or even fair by our estimation. Things weren't always right. And it seemed many times in David's life that defeat was inevitable. But we see here that it was how David handled these moments that allowed him to work through these limits in his life. It was how he handled them. Friends, listen, we're all living in a day and age where if what we're looking for is a reason why it can't be done, we'll find it. If what we're looking for is an excuse as to why our lives can't be what we believe God would have them to be, there are plenty of excuses around today. But I'm glad to tell you that David was not the kind of man who was interested in making an excuse. He wanted to make progress. He, he wanted to make it a life, if you would, according to God's plan for, for him specifically. And, and David was a man who learned how to handle these times when it just kind of seemed like the system was against him. The odds were against him. And there are three great lessons in this incredible psalm that David teaches us this morning. Here's the first one I'll share with you. David learned this. You must live by principle if you want progress. You must live by principle if you want progress. Now, there's no disputing the fact that the majority of this psalm is David pouring his heart out to God. In fact, he even talks to God about the injustices that he's dealing with, and, and uh, he, he's certainly not happy about it all. David is a man in this psalm that has more questions than he does answers, and he's not thrilled, as I said, but, but he begins where we all have to begin. Look at verse 1. It's an amazing, amazing thought. All that David's going through, where does he begin in this psalm? He says this, Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble now look up here for a moment 
What kind of time was David living in in this moment in his life? A time of trouble. And what did David need more than anything else in this time in his life that was a time of trouble? David tells us in this psalm what he needs. Now, if you're going to stick with me here, say amen. Don't miss this. This is so important. What did David need? Well, in verse 4, he told us this. Lord, be merciful unto me. In verse 10, he said, Lord, be merciful unto me. David had a need in this time of trouble in his life. And what David needed was mercy from God. And yet, David begins this psalm by talking about his concern for other people. Years ago, I served on a church staff of a great church in, in Tennessee, uh, near Knoxville, Tennessee. And I remember one Sunday, we had one of those days where the the whole church was encouraged, hey, everybody bring your friends. And the pastor that day got up and he preached a great gospel message sharing with people how they could have the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of a home in heaven when they died and the joy of living life knowing that God's working in you and through you. And he preached a fantastic gospel message that day. And when he's done, he said, uh, if you don't know that if you were to die today, you'd spend forever in heaven. I, I want to encourage you to come to the front. Man, a lot of people came to the front. And uh, a lot of the people that served at the church, we came to the front also, and we began to meet these people, and we sat down just in the front of the auditorium, and we take out a copy of God's Word and, and, and share with them from the Bible how they could know that, that Jesus was their personal Savior. I remember I had an opportunity to talk with one particular young man, and, and uh, so there was uh, a young man sitting there, and I was sitting next to him, and sitting next to me was another lady in the church, a, a great lady who was sharing the gospel with someone else. And uh, as I got done sharing the gospel, I just sat up for a minute, and the service is still uh, just ending. There was a lot of things they did at the end of the service. And, and as I sat up, I heard the lady next to me, who had just shared the gospel with the lady next to her, uh, she went on to say something like, this she said you know you'll want to grow in your in your new christian life and the bible says god helps those who help themselves and as she said that i thought to myself i'm pretty sure ben franklin said that <laughs> he did he, he said it in fact i googled it just to make sure that i knew when uh, it was said he said it in 1736 it was written in poor richard's almanac and and i don't know everything but i do know what i know and one thing i know is that i've read the bible through quite a few times god never said i help those or uh, god helps those who help themselves in fact god routinely said the exact opposite of that something like this i help those who help others now, I go with Benjamin Franklin. I get what he's getting at. He was saying, go for it, and I, I get it. But, but, you know, God routinely said things like, when you need from me, let me tell you how to begin that. Why don't you start thinking of the needs of others? Now, I shared with you that David understood he needed mercy. <clears throat> and he understood how God works in our lives. Jesus addressed it this way one time in Matthew 5. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy what was jesus saying you need mercy in in life let me tell you how to begin show mercy to another person 
consider the needs of others. Maybe that's people that are poor, like, like these we're going to be able to bless in, in Tijuana and, and others. Or, or maybe it's just people going through a hard time. But David was saying as he opened this psalm, God, I'm in a bad situation. My son, whom I love, he's betrayed me. My chief counselor and friend, he's betrayed me. God, what I need more than anything else in my life is your mercy. And so God, before I even ask for it, let me just start this psalm by saying, I'm thinking of the poor right now. Those in need of mercy. Oh, friends, I've met many people in life who they encounter this limit of, you know, it's just not going to work out for me. Come from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, it's not going to work out for me. And rather than using what they have and doing what they can, they just complain about the adversity they faced. And I hope you'll see with me today the power of taking responsibility for what we do have and what we can do. So I have everything. I, I know that. Nobody does. You have something. Sometimes it's those seemingly insignificant things that are in our hands that God can use in a great way. I recall in the Bible a, a boy that had just a small lunch and God used it in a miraculous way. I remember one time Moses didn't think he could do anything for God. And God said, what's in your hand, Moses? He's like, just this old shepherd's staff. God's like, perfect. Why don't you go ahead and use what you do have and, and you'll find that in time what you don't have and what you really need can come to you as you're faithful with what you use. Oh, listen, friends. I want you to know God's not interested in blessing people that want to hoard the blessing. He wants to work in the lives of others who are going to let what God does in us be passed through to those around us. It's good to be able to say, God, I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And if you give me more, I want to be faithful with that also. You see, there's a principle in the Bible that deals with this concept. Again, in Luke 16, Jesus says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now I'll share a truism with you now that applies to you as well as me. Faithfulness is a trait that is in our lives whether we have the least or much. And David was the kind of man that said, you know, I'm going through a season where what I have right now would be qualified as the least. <laughs> Having a tough time. Seems like everybody's against me, and none of this is fair. It's not right. It's not just. And there's a whole lot more I need. But I want to begin by taking responsibility for the little I do have, and he expresses to God, God, I want you to know my heart, and my heart is I, I want to consider the needs of others. If we're not using the blessings we have, we won't use the blessings we're seeking. And David was determined to begin this season in his life by declaring what he was doing and what his intentions were in life. He lived by principle because he wanted progress. If we're still friends, say amen. This is a, this is a needed sermon today for me and you, all of us. Let's look at the second thought this morning. Listen to the eternal rather than the enemy. Now, David's just being totally honest with God. By the way, how many of you have learned in life it's good to be honest with God because he knows anyhow, okay? So David's being honest with the Lord. In verse 4, he wrote this, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Now, let's not miss this. David's scrambling for his life. His kingdom's been taken away from him in an illegal, uh, unjust way. And David could have said, God, be merciful to me because other people have sinned against me. The odds are against me. The system's against me. The man's keeping me down. He, he didn't say that. He said, God, would you be merciful to me because, God, I'm a sinner. 
I'm a sinner. Again, he didn't blame Absalom or, or, or the others. He was saying, Lord, I know I've messed up in my life too. And I'm aware, God, that justice would not be in my best interest. Now, sometimes people say things like, I want justice. I understand that. I already told you I'm not speaking to society in general today. We're just talking together. We all want to live in a just society. We understand the rule of law. I understand all of that. But did you know that in a spiritual sense, justice wouldn't work out well for any of us when it comes to God? God, I just want what I deserve. I've learned what I deserve in life is to be eternally separated from God in a place I don't even like to talk about. It's a place Jesus talked about often. More than heaven, Jesus talked about that awful place we call hell. I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody today, but the spiritual reality of the matter is if we want to stomp our foot and clench our fist and say, I want what I deserve, if we say that to God, the fact is because of our sin, we would deserve to pay for our sin. In Romans 8 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul said this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me share with you what the law of sin and death is. The law of sin and death is you sin you die and i've sinned you have as well the bible says that we are only made free from that through the grace and mercy of jesus christ david did not want justice in this situation because he said if you're gonna get them god i'm I'm gonna have to be on the receiving end what i want god is mercy and those who were opposing him were anything but merciful to david They were brutal, they were ruthless, they were hateful, they were trying to hold them down for all they were worth. I want to read a whole bunch of of clips from verses in this passage to help you understand what we're we're studying here. In verse 5, David said it this way, Mine enemies speak evil of me. And in verse 6, he said, He speaketh vanity. In verse 7, he said, All that hate me whisper together against me. In verse 9, he said, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. I thought, what in the world? He lifted up his heel. If what I read is correct, that was kind of a Hebraism, and an expression, a colloquialism, uh, meaning to get kicked by a horse or a mule. He said, man, my good friend that I trusted in, he kicked me like a mule, that guy. But there was one theme in all of this found in verse 8. David said, an evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him and now that he lieth he shall rise up no more they said david's got a disease he's not getting out of this now back in verse three in this psalm david referred to his situation as his bed of sickness now whether his sickness was figurative or literal it doesn't really matter the fact is his enemies looked at him and said he's not getting up he's done man His opportunities are finished. He's forever limited. Words have power, don't they? As I was studying this, I went back to one experience in my life where some words had incredible power in a negative sense. Our family was preparing to leave where we were serving in Tennessee to come here to start the church. And many of you guys have heard the story, but we didn't know anybody in this area. I was born and raised, most of my life raised in Southern California, but that was you know, about 100 miles north of here. We didn't know anybody in this area. Uh, we didn't have enough money. We had some money we'd saved up to buy a house there, and we thought, we'll use that. We had two cars. We sold one of our two cars, and, and we just came and, and, and got to work, and it was scary, but we had 
51% faith, you know, 49% doubts, I guess. And, and, and so we just went. I remember as we left our church, the pastor said one night, hey, Stephen Lee said they're, they're going to go start a church. If you guys want to say anything to them, uh, they'll be up here in the front of the church after the service, something like that. People came by, hundreds of people, and they said nice things. Uh, some of them said thanks for something we've done in our time there in terms of ministry. Others said we'll be praying for you. And, and uh, I didn't even think of this till just now. A few of them uh, put $20 bills in our hands. That was nice, too. That bought McDonald's on the way out here, you know. And, uh, and, and it was just wonderful, the, the outpouring of love. There's nothing more nuttier than the family of God, but the family of God's awesome, too, right? And, uh, and, and, and so just kind, outpouring uh, of kindness. Near the very end of the line, there was a guy that I knew well, and, and he kind of came. Everyone more or less had filtered out, and, and he said, man, I can't believe you're going to do it, and we talked a little bit about that, and he was one of these guys. He hated California, you know, and he's like, I, I would never go to California, and, and uh, I'm thinking, boy, it's good that missionaries don't feel the way you do. You know, you got to go sometimes where God wants you to go, and uh, he said, yeah, I was talking to, and he named the name of a man I respect and admire greatly. And I said, Steve's going to go to California to start a church. And you know what he said, Steve? He said, Steve will never make it. I heard hundreds of positive comments that day. Guess which one was on my mind when I went to bed that night? Guess which one I was thinking about as we drove across the country? 20 plus years later, guess which one I'm using as a sermon illustration right now? <laughs> Words have power. And you've heard words very similar to those. You've, you've heard voices like that before. We've all had those people that, that maybe we respected or trusted or admired who've, who've said things we just can't seem to forget. Someone once said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And whoever said that didn't know what they were talking about. I've had plenty of times in my life, as, as have you, where I would have much rather somebody beat me bloody than said some of the hurtful things to me that they did. And as I read this psalm, David's down, and it seems as though he's obsessed with what everybody else is saying about him, to the neglect of hearing what God had already declared over his life. So he's listening to all the negativity, all the naysayers. He's down, he's not getting up, he's forever limited, he's not moving past this. And he failed to understand what God had already said to him. You know, earlier, God and David had a pretty amazing uh, time of, of communication. And God declared a statement over the life of David that was a covenant. It was a promise where God held both ends of the promise. It, it, was, it was something God had given him. In fact, this covenant was so uh, significant and so profound that they named it. They named it the covenant. It, it's got a catchy name. We call it the Davidic Covenant. It was David's covenant, man. God gave it to him as a gift. God gave him a promise. Let me share with you the Davidic covenant from God to David. 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now, while it is true that Absalom was David's son and he wrestled power away in this, in this time of struggle, this was not a legitimate transfer of power. And David heard all the negativity from his enemies, but he had to make the choice in that moment to learn again to listen, not just to what people had to say to him or about him, but to listen to what it is that God had promised over him. David's enemies looked at him and they diagnosed him as, as, as good as dead, as good as dead. But did you know that when what people say differs from what God says, it's always good to go with God's word? I'd listen to him. 
Because while others may enjoy uh, forecasting the, the, the terrible things that they hope will happen to your life, it's always good to think of a God who already knows how things are going to end up, how it's all going to go. I've found sometimes in life there are people that root for your success until you start to get some of it, and then they resent you for it. As Americans, the only thing we like more than building up a hero is tearing that hero down once we've built them up. And I'm not saying we ought to live paranoid. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we're going to have those moments in life when we face these limits. And it may be that there are the voices of negativity feeding into that. And we need to say, you know something? I'm not as interested in what others have to say as what I am in knowing what it is that God has declared over my life. And the premise of this whole series isn't that we're not going to have limits. We are going to have a lot of limits. But when it comes to being the person God's called you to be and living the life that God has called you to live, there is no limit that can stop you. And you can take God's word on that. And that leads us to the final thought this morning. The third thought is this. David learned we, we can leverage your pain for a purpose. Leverage your pain for a purpose. Now in verses 10 through 13, we get to a really optimistic turn of events here. And David enters into the closing verses of this chapter and in verse 10, he, he says this. He says, But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up. Now again, they said he's not going to get up. So David goes to God and he says, God, would you raise me up that I may requite them. He, he was saying, God, they, they say I'm not getting up. I'm down for the count. But God, I'm asking for you to be merciful to me, to raise me up so that I can show them and teach them how great you are. Are. Now, some have suggested David was really just asking to get revenge here. He said, I want to requite them. And the fact is, as the king, I'm sure when order was restored, there was some punishment that was meted out. He was the king. I mean, uh, that, that would make sense to me. But I really believe David wanted this done so his life could serve as a testimony that would confound the critics. God, they're saying that this situation can never be remedied, that I can't do what you've called me to do. God, would you raise me up so that those who've been critics would be confounded by the greatness of your work in my life? Now, somebody can say, well, pastor, that sounds good, but that's quite a stretch to say that you know the heart of David in this matter. But, you know, we have the, the beautiful blessing of being able to know pretty much the entire story of David's life. And David, when he was at his best, never lived life for himself. It was always a desire he had that others would come to know God and glorify God. That was his consistent prayer. Think about that time when he was facing Goliath. He, he never went to God in prayer and he said, God, would you help me to defeat this, this giant, this big old giant I'm facing? God, if I, if I could kill Goliath, imagine how famous I would be. That's not what David said at all. In fact, we don't have to wonder what David said. God's word records for us what David said in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 46. David says, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. I'll smite thee, I'll take thine head from thee, and I'll give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Wow, David, that's big talk. That, that's really something you said there. And, and he closes by saying why. He said that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. David's heart wasn't God. I want to get even with these guys, but it was God they're saying, I can't do what you've called me to do. Why don't you raise me up? Not, not so they'll see how great I am, but God, so they'll see your work in my life and you'll be honored 
you'll be glorified. David learned how to leverage pain for God's purpose. His words continued into verse 11. He said, I know that thou favorest me because mine enemy, mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Notice with me, he didn't say, God, I know you favor me because I have no enemies. That's just not the way life works. He said, God, I know you favor me because I, I do have these enemies. But I know there's not one enemy that can prevent me from being the person you've called me to be or from doing what you've called me to do. God, as I follow your purpose, he says, your purpose can never be thwarted because you've got me and you've got this situation. And all of this that David shares is based on a relationship that he had with God. He knew God well enough that when he came to this time where it seemed as though he was just dealt a bad hand, he thought God is getting ready to do something special here. He believed it so much, he could go on to say, And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and settest me before thy face forever. Yeah, the odds were against David. He was not voted most likely to succeed. In fact, he wasn't even eligible for that vote. His dad didn't even bring him in when, when he was told to get his sons. No, nobody expected David to do well. I, I mean, he, he would have been in the losing end of the voters block in every election. But David was the kind of man who could face those odds that weren't in his favor confidently and with joy because he did not have a preconceived idea of what it was that success would look like in his life. He just said, you know, I've got a relationship with God and all I want to do is what God wants me to do. And as I pursue God's will for my life, God will remove those things that will limit me. Maybe you're here today and a part of God's revealed will in your life God's called you to be a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or an uncle or an aunt or a brother or a sister I want you to know God can allow you to make that relationship the best it can be you're not responsible for what others say about you or even for what others do in the course of your life you can do everything God wants you to do even in your professional career I want you to know as we apply the word of God we'll learn the value of things like integrity we'll learn the value of working hard even things like showing up uh, excuse me on time and seeing the job through these are biblical principles God can help you God can use you nothing can prevent you from living the life God has for you in, in every part of your life God can take those limits and he can break through them as we like David come to God say God um, I'm not really sure what's happening here this wasn't a part of my plan. I, I, I never imagined that my son would do this and that my friend would do this. God, it just doesn't seem right. It, it's not fair. It's not just. But God, forgive me. I know it's a pretty naive thing to say something like it's not fair. So God, help me to get over that notion. And God, bring me back to you. Help me to just trust you. God, I know I don't have to do everything in life. I just have to do what you would have me to do. God, I pray I'd handle this season exactly as you would have me to. David could face those odds confidently and with joy because he trusted <laughs> the Lord. His sole desire was to live for God and honor God. And he knew that in, in the end, as he, as he concluded this passage, he let, let us know he'd be with the Lord forever. Friends, 
all of us have a sad story we could tell. They were mean. That wasn't fair. You were overlooked. It's difficult. And we all tend to think everyone else doesn't have it quite the way we do. And I'm not going to imply that everyone can relate with every trial through which you've gone. But I'm here today to tell you God knows. And God loves you. And David had the capacity to say, as I follow God, I know that he's for me. God can work through that area in your life. What part of your life have you sold short because you forgot to go to God and consider what it is he would have you to do? Maybe today would be a great day to say, God, this massive chip on my shoulder, I need to just set it down for a while. And I need to come to you and remind you that I just want to be faithful with what I do have and think of others. And God, as you bless me, I want to tell you in advance, I plan to do more blessing of others as you do more blessing of me. Help me in this pursuit, Lord. Our Father, we're grateful today for the truth of your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts to the point that we could look to life with all its uncertainties, even its difficulties, its hardships, so we could look to life with joy and anticipation and, and hope, knowing that you have something for each of us to do. And God, at the end of the road, for those of us that know you, when this physical life is over, I pray that we would rejoice in the reality that eternal life in heaven with you is is that which we receive by faith in the work of Jesus on the